Well, it is a joy uh, to be with you all this morning. I brought uh, not only a sermon today, but uh, my back table there next to the lighthouse, you'll see I have a table set up, uh, has some of my videos. Uh, I teach, uh, like I did in Sunday school, I teach a series of lessons on the Biblical Principle, America's Christian Heritage Series. I hope that'll be a a blessing for you. Then I've written some books. Uh, One of them is called Weight in the Balances. Uh, I'm sure everybody here has probably heard somebody in your life has told you that all Bibles say the same thing, they just use different words. Who's been told that before? All right, pretty much every. I was told that too. So I actually put that to the test. And I found out, is that actually true or is it not? And we're going to weigh these things in the balances. And to give you a little hint of how the book turns out, I'll be reading out of the King James Bible today. All right. Uh, but if you want to see what do they actually teach side by side on the basic doctrines, that's what that has. So you can actually see, it's just like they said in Sesame Street, uh, things which are different are not the same. Uh, then I got another one called Omega Hours. It's a verse-by-verse uh, guide through the book of the Revelation. Uh, and so much of that is getting ready to happen just any day now. Uh, then I've got another uh, uh, us back there that are fiction series where I take prophecy and I combine it with really what's going on nowadays uh, for a fiction setting. And I think it would be a way to get some great truths and be entertaining along the way. Uh, I like to say, if you like to get anything on the table, it's 10 bucks each. Uh, if you don't like to get it, it's still 10 bucks. All right. Uh, so if you need to write out a check, just make it to the IRS. They're going to get it eventually. Anyway. Uh, Well, with all that said, take your Bibles, please, this morning and turn over to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter number 3. We have here the, uh, the very first time that the human race ever encounters the fallen angels. The devil himself is recorded for us right here in this particular passage. Now, uh, for those of you who may not know, I think most of you do, but those of you who don't, uh, I serve as the missionary slash chaplain to the Kentucky State Capitol. So my job is to deal with politicians, and I want to get an extra crown in heaven for dealing with that. (laughs) And uh, I I have more respect for a politician who stands against everything I stand for than I do for somebody who acts like they're for you, and then then they'll act that they're against you and they're somebody else, and, and they don't really, they speak with fork and tongue, as they used to say. Uh, I got more respect for somebody who will at least take a stand on the other side. Uh, but the devil is just that way. The devil is a liar. And I, I, he'll tell you a half-truth. If you don't know what the truth is, he's going to deceive you every single time. And everything that you are dealing with in your life today, whatever weakness you have, whatever problem you have, it's all going to stem from some lie that the devil has been able to sell you. And every single one of those lies is going to be recorded for us for our benefit and warning right here in chapter 3 in the very first encounter that humans ever had with the devil himself. So uh, if you found your place in Genesis chapter 3, if you're able, if you would stand please to honor the reading of God's perfect, preserved, inspired, unchanging book. Notice what the Bible says. We'll start in uh, chapter 3 verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, 
Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, even though they made themselves aprons, the Lord shows up and decides the work of your hands is insufficient. So notice what the Lord does about this. Let's skip down for the sake of time uh, to verse number 21. Notice what God does. Unto Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would uh, bless us with your presence, with your power. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint the reading of your word, the hearing of it. May you open up each heart and mind to receive it, Father. May we be more conformed to Jesus Christ. I ask all these things in his name, by the power of his resurrection, Father. Amen and amen. Thank you, and please be seated. Uh, well, what we're gonna, they say uh, in Bible college you have to give all of your sermons a title. So this one is entitled, The Four Lies of the Devil. Every single lie the devil is telling today, he told the same four lies, and we just saw all of them right here. Let's look at these four lies real quick. Because if you know somebody's going to lie to you, and then they start talking and it comes out, then you're like, hey, well, I've been warned about you, sucker. And you saw it coming, and maybe it'll help you avoid some trouble in your life. So here, excuse me, is the very first lie of the devil. The first lie of the devil is... There is no devil. Notice how the devil shows up. He says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The devil does not show up in a red suit and a pitchfork, looking all terribly monstrous, saying, hi, I'm the prince of darkness. No, he doesn't do that. He shows up as something, he's very subtle. That's the way the devil works. He shows up at something at this point in history is something that is very beautiful. You keep reading the scriptures. After this, the Lord curses snakes and says, you're not going to have legs to be able to walk around anymore. From now on, you've got to crawl around on your belly. So at one point, this was a beautiful creature that could walk around. And did anybody else ever take notice? This snake starts talking to Eve and Eve does not flip out. Anybody else ever notice that? Could snakes talk before? I don't know. All I know is this snake talked, and it didn't seem to surprise her. So I just thought that was something interesting to note. So you got this creature showing up not as the prince of darkness, not as this horrible, demonic-looking thing. It shows up as something which must have looked pretty nice and pretty friendly, and it talked pretty nice, and Eve's all there alone. And that's a lesson to all you fellas. If you're not with your wife, some devil's going to show up and start talking to her. I just thought I'd throw that part in for free, all right? And so that's the way the devil always works. He's subtle. Devil's not going to show up to you and say, hey, you know what, brother, I think you ought to run your, your ministry, uh, your reputation, your marriage, uh, and just run off with some woman. Devil's not going to do that, especially for a church-going crowd. That's too obvious. You know, he's going to show up saying, you know what, why don't we just, we work together. There's a cafeteria. Why don't we just sit down at this table and have lunch together? You're on the Facebook or the waste book, as I've heard it sometimes called. And your old girlfriend, your old boyfriend from high school or college days, they happen to be on, they see you and they say, oh, hi, how you doing? Haven't talked to you forever. Danger, 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 Will Robinson. If you're over 40, you know what that is. The devil is very subtle. 
and every single problem in your life. I want you to think about what's your besetting sin. What is that thing that, I mean, nobody's perfect. All the perfect people, raise your hand. You pastored how long? You have no perfect people? Of course, there is none righteous. No, not one is what the Bible says. The Bible says if we say we have not sinned, we make ourselves a liar. And then right there you sin. So everybody realizes you have some sin, some weakness in your life. Well, whatever it is, I want you to think, how did that thing get started? And here's the next thing. If you took it to the next level, which right now you would say, oh, I would never, I'd never take this farther. If you took it to the next level, where would you be? Because we're going to find out you're going to get to that next level sooner or later. How did the devil first lie to you in this? You believe the lie of the devil that you have to accept this in your life. You do not. There is not a single sin that God cannot give you victory over. His blood is more powerful than our sins. Amen right there. So the first lie of the devil is that there is no devil. And I can tell you, there's a group right there out there nowadays saying, oh yeah, there is no devil. But when I see all the things going on in the world nowadays, you watch the news at all, you can see there's some kind of a master puppeteer that's pulling all of these strings, all these different nations and groups and ethnicities all seeming to move together under one common plan and purpose. And I can tell you what that is. It's a literal devil himself. And the first lie he's going to want to tell somebody is that there is no devil. And if he can convince you that there is no devil, then he can just start having his way. I wish I could tell you there is no devil. I cannot. There is a real, literal army of fallen angels. And it says that when God made them, it never said he made them in his own image. Never says that. It says that mankind was made in God's image. And so every time that the devils look at you, they're reminded of what God is. And they can't destroy him. They tried. So they want to destroy his creations, which he loves. I wish to tell you there is a real horrible devil. Now notice the second lie of the devil that we see. The second, Because the devil hadn't even talked yet. He's just showing up as something else. And I just thought I'd throw that in there. you got this guy who's actually one thing, but he's all dressed up and acting like he's something else. You know what that is? That's devilish. I just let that sink in for a minute or two. Lie number two. So the devil wants to lie, say there is no devil. Lie number two is that you can't trust the Bible. Notice what the very first words out of the devil's mouth. It's right there in verse number one. The devil says, Yea, hath God said. First thing he did is start questioning your Bible. God's word. Did God really say that? God's only, there's only been two chapters already. God and mankind's only been around for one of those. God hadn't even said that much yet. And yet, the very first thing the devil ever says to human beings is, hey, can you really trust that's what God said? You ever play the telephone game? Now, again, if you're a millennial, you won't get this, but there used to be a day when you go to somebody and you say, Jack and Jill went up a hill. And then they'd tell it to the next person and the next person, and by the time it come out here, it's Mary had a little lamb. All right, you ever all play that little game now? Well, that's the way the devil likes to do things, too, with God's word. He's like, well, God gave in the originals. He gave his, you know, his word, and it was perfect, but it's been translated now and translated, and it's gone through the hands of all these sinful people, and so nowadays it probably is different than what it started. I'm here to tell you that a God who can just say, let there be, and all of the universe comes into existence. If he says, I want my word put down this way, you know what? That same God has the power to keep his word exactly the way that he wants it to. So out of the 66 books of the Bible, how many of them did Jesus write in his three and a half years of his ministry? Anybody know? The answer is 
Zero. You don't have to pay your tithe this week. Very good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> zero. Jesus, the only perfect person to walk on this earth, is, uh, wrote zero books of the Bible. Which means every single of those 66 books was all written by a sinful person. And if God can give his word perfectly, exactly the way he wants to a sinful person in the original, he can use sinful people to keep it exactly the way he wants down to the year that he comes back for us. First thing the devil wants to do is start saying, ah, you can't trust the Bible. And we're going to see Eve falls for this trick too. And we're going to see that uh, and if you, uh, as we progress here. And uh, if that's something that you're struggling with right now, let me tell you, people might say it says in the originals this, it says in the originals that. Do you know how many originals exist? The answer is once again, zero. No museum has them. The Vatican doesn't claim to have them. They don't exist. Do you know why? Because if there was originals somewhere, they would quickly become an idol to the believer. If there was somewhere, the letters that Paul wrote... I would want to go see him, and I would be like, hey, don't touch that. Don't put in. That's sacred. And it quickly become an idol to us. So all we have is copies of copies of copies of copies. I have an evangelist friend, and uh, he takes trips over to Israel. He really focuses a lot of that in his ministry, uh, is Israel-type work. And uh, he's over there, and he had a group of church people he was taking across the country, and they go to the Dead Sea Scrolls Museum. Now, uh, over there, they have all these ancient manuscripts uh, that have fragments of the Bible in them. Uh, one of the oldest one, biggest one, is called the Isaiah Scroll. And the Isaiah Scroll was written 600 years before Jesus even walked on the earth. We're talking 2,600 years ago. And he's over there and he's uh, talking to all these people that he's given the tour to. And behind him, he hears what sounds like a young Israeli boy. He's probably maybe 9, 10 years old. And he is quoting in perfect Hebrew, word for word, Isaiah. Same word for word that's like it's in your King James Bible. And he was about to be very, he was very impressed with this young fellow that could quote this in Hebrew. And so he turns around and he finds out this young little fella, he's not quoting at all. He is reading it. Because God has preserved his word, word for word, from what it was written in the ancient text, exactly as it's recorded now in English in your King James Bible. Do you realize Hebrew hasn't even been spoken for more than 2,000 years? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Was the New Testament written in Hebrew? No, New Testament's written in Greek and Aramaic. Why is that? I'll tell you exactly why. Because the Israelis have been conquered by the Assyrians uh, hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked in this earth. And by the time Jesus is walking around, he's not speaking Hebrew, he's speaking Aramaic. And so that's why it's recorded, because now, by that time, it was almost a dead language entirely. You ever notice when you're reading your Bible that sometimes it'll say, the, you know, this happened and that happened, and then there'll be foreign words. And they'll tell you what the foreign words mean. For an example, uh, there's a, a little girl who's died. And Jesus goes to the little girl and he says, Talitha kumai. And then the text says, which means made arise. And it often, went, why would they just not translate those words? They were translating the rest of them for us. Why is that? Because Jesus is speaking Hebrew there and nobody around understood the ancient Hebrew. He's on the cross and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And then they tell you, which means... My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why did they have to translate that part? Because, why? because the local Hebrews anymore, they didn't speak Hebrew, they spoke Aramaic. 
It had been a lost language. They had been scattered throughout the world. And then the Romans went and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD and scattered a bunch of the rest of them. And they went all around the world and their language died out. A bunch of Jews that went up to Germany combined Hebrew with a German language and they came up with this new language called Yiddish. And that was spoken commonly. But in the late 1800s and very, very early 1900s, this guy named Eliezer ben Huda, he gets together and he knew two or three of the words of the ancient Hebrew from his community. And he went around, uh, he was an, a uh, Russian Jew, and he went around to the other Russian Jewish communities and he collected some of the old words or phrases from the old language. And he started collecting these together in basically a dictionary set. And he started traveling throughout Europe and he started building, he wound up building a 10 volume set of dictionaries of the ancient Hebrew language which hadn't been spoken for 2,600 years. And when his child was born, he would only speak to his child in ancient Hebrew and his child grew up being the first native speaker of ancient Hebrew that existed for more than 2,500 years. And then about 40 years later, Israel becomes a nation. This lexicon of words goes to Israel and they start teaching it in the schools. And in 2015, ancient Hebrew became the official language of the nation of Israel and it's what's spoken once again. You cannot go over to England 2,600 years ago and if you could travel through time and have any hope of understanding anything ancient English-speaking peoples spoke at that time. And they would not understand a word that you said. But ancient Hebrew, a little boy today can read it and speak it exactly the way it was 600 years before Jesus was born. If that doesn't tell you that God can preserve it exactly the way he wants, nothing else will. God has preserved his word for us. And you got your opinion, I got my opinion. And nothing makes my opinion better than your opinion. So therefore, when we got a difference, you know what we must do? We must seek out a higher opinion. And that's God's unchanging word. So the first lie of the devil is that there is no devil. Second lie of the devil is that you can't trust the Bible. Yea, hath God said. And you'll notice that there's a word missing. Now, I've told you over and over again, the Bible's perfect. I'm a King James Bible believer. And yet now I'm going to tell you there is a word missing in your King James Bible that should be there. And I'm going to prove it to you. We all just saw it right there. The devil says, yea, hath God said. Chapter 3, verse number 1, and there's a word that should have been there that's not. Notice what we see here. In chapter number 2, God is creating everything. Notice what it says in chapter 2 and verse number 7. It says, and the Lord God formed man. Chapter 2, verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden. And if you look over in verse number 9, and out of the ground made the Lord God grow every tree. And it says, Lord God, in verse 15, verse 16, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, verse 22, when you get to chapter 3, verse 1, it says, every beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And then when the devil starts talking, he leaves a word out. And he says, yea, hath God said. And there's a word missing. He won't call him Lord. He knows he's God. Devil knows that, never has a doubt about that. He never calls him Lord. You can go out to this people today. The brother's going to go out with some people, uh, some teenagers this afternoon. I encourage you to go out there and, and, and witness, part of the witnessing program, soul winning. And you're going to knock on some doors, and there's going to be a lot of people say, oh, oh, I believe in God. You know what the Bible says in the book of James? It says the devils believe, and they tremble. They do one better than us sometimes. And the, the devils know God is God. 
But they never accepted him as Lord. Because Lord, that's like the old term they used like in the Middle Ages and stuff. You, you are the Lord of the manor and I am the servant. You are in charge and I am not. And you notice at the end times it says when there's that great battle of Armageddon and, and Jesus shows up and he finally defeats the devil. Uh, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God. It's not what it says. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what church? Lord. And that old devil, he's not done it yet through all of eternity. He wouldn't do it then. But there's going to be one day when Lucifer, the same creature that we're reading right here, is going to bend his knee and he's going to say every tongue will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue, that's his too, is going to confess, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. And it says that we're coming back with the Lord that day, which lets me know I had to be taken out first because otherwise you can't come back unless you're already gone. And I come back, and I hope I'm standing right there, and I'll be like, Lord, that old devil gave me so much trouble when I was alive. Make him say it again, Lord. Make him say it again. <laughs> Lucifer himself, same creature we're reading his lines now. He will say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a time in your life when you're like, I'm not in charge? Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. You can come to church all you want. I'm for coming to church. You can get baptized. I'm all for baptism. This is a Baptist church. I'm a Baptist preacher. Our name has the word baptism in it. I'm all for that. We're going to do one today, I guess. I'm for having the Lord's Supper. I think it's a good thing to do. The Bible instructed us to do that. I'm for giving money to the church. I mean, that I live on people who give money to the church. That's all good stuff, and I hope you do it a whole lot today. Giving money to the church, getting baptized, doing good deeds. It's all great. None of it is what keeps you out of a devil's hell. I think about those uh, three uh, crosses on that day of the crucifixion. The Bible tells us that a crucifixion, by the way, was a very common form of execution. This was the basic way they killed people by the Roman government back in that day. So it wasn't just a one-time thing. Thousands, tens of thousands of people died by crucifixion. And they say the day of the famous crucifixion of our Lord, that Jesus was crucified and there was two other guys that were also crucified that day. And they're on either side. He's in the middle. he got one on either side. And it says now uh, one of these guys saying, hey, if you're really God, and get off the cross and get me off too. He, he, and he's mocking him. Now the guy who's on the other side, what does he say? He basically said, shut up, fella. He's like, you and I are here because we deserve this. So first of all, we notice this guy admitted that he was a sinner. A. Number two, he says, this man has done nothing wrong. This person is perfect. We're guilty. He's perfect. And then he turned to him and what did he say? Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? About to pass on to eternity. And he says, this guy's perfect. I'm a sinner. He is Lord. Heaven is your kingdom. Would you remember me? And this guy, through all of history, never recorded. He did one good deed. By his own admission, he deserves a torturous death. I deserve this. He never got baptized. He never did one good deed. He never gave one coin to the church as far as we ever know. And did Jesus say, well, I'm sorry, son, you didn't do more good than you did bad, so you're doomed. 
He didn't get baptized, son. That would have been it. That's not what he said. This guy admitted he was a sinner. He believed on Jesus Christ for payment of his sins. And Jesus turned to him and said, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I don't care if you've done more good than bad, given all the money you ever had. Have you ever said, Lord, I'm a sinner. You are the king of heaven. Will you let your son's blood pay for my sins? Whosoever will confess their sins, Jesus will in no wise cast out. And he says, that day I'll be with you. By the way, Jesus didn't have to go to hell for three days. The cross was sufficient. The sufficiency of the cross is what we believe. He didn't say, well, I'll see you in three days. What did he say? Today I'm going to be in paradise. Sufficiency of the cross. If you're here today and you've never trusted in anything except Jesus shed blood for your salvation of your soul, today is the day to do that. During the invitation time or right now, you can say, oh, Lord, will you save me? I'm a sinner and I trust in your son's blood. You got a question about that during the invitation time. You come down, you get the pastor's attention. You get mine or we'll get one of the ladies for a lady and we'll show you not what we say, not what the Baptists say. We'll just show you what this book says about that precious Savior and his blood. So notice the first lie. First lie of the devil is that there is no devil. The second lie of the devil is that you can't trust the Bible. And the third lie of the devil is that you are never going to die. Now that's a whopper of a lie. But notice what he says. Um, he says, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Now go over to chapter 2, verse 17. What does it say? But of the, This is God speaking. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now the devil's saying you will not. So notice the progression of things. First, we question the Bible. Yea, hath God said. I wonder if you're questioning the Bible today. Number two, we're going to change the Bible a little bit. We just read, God says, don't eat the tree or you're dead. However, that's not what Eve said. The devil says, hey, can you trust the Bible? Remember what Eve said? We just read it. She says, yeah, well, God said we're not supposed to eat the tree. We're not even supposed to touch it or we'll die. Did God say anything about touching it? Didn't say a word about touching it. So first we question the Bible. And second, we start changing the Bible. Now, this may have come because Adam said, listen, don't eat it. Don't even touch it. That's the way my mother would have put it. <laughs> don't even think about touching it. And that's where we get all kinds of people today say, well, I, I think that's what God said in his book. But I think, that, you know what, God said this is wrong, but you know what, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's right. Oh, danger, danger, danger. We're going to see that in a second. Well, God says this is uh, right, but you know what, I think that's a little narrow-minded. I think that's wrong. Danger, danger, danger. We're adding two. Taken away, putting our word above God's word. We're going to see that more in a second. So first we question God's word. Then we start changing God's word. And then we get to this thing right here is we just come out and say it's the exact opposite is the truth of what God actually said. Yea, hath God said, he said this. Well, he was wrong. You won't die at all. See the progression right there? And that's what the devil wants to tell you right now. That Not that you're not going to physically die. Everybody knows that. I think what we're getting here is a spiritual application talking about what the Bible refers to as that second death. The Bible says that when the soul is cast into the lake of fire where the, that was originally made for the, devils and, uh, the devil and his angels, it says, but if somebody rejects God, then you know what? They're cast into this place that was made for the devils. 
and that is the second death, an eternity of the soul forever tortured and on fire. The second death, and the devil writes tell you, it's like, hey, there's no hell, there's no lake of fire, there's no second death, don't worry about it. It's a horrible lie, the devil. I wish I could tell you there's no place where it says the, the screams come up and the smoke of their torment forever and ever, where there's no rest, there's no sleep, there's no oblivion. It's forever that way. And I wish with all my might, I could tell you it's a boogeyman story that was made up to scare little kids into being right. I cannot tell you that. The Bible tells me there is a real, literal place for those who say, no, I reject God's gift. I'm living for myself. And it's this lie of the devil that there is no second death. There is no hell. Which leads us to our fourth and our final um, lie of the devil. And the last one is that you can be God. Now, some people are like, now, who would ever believe that they're God? Well, you come up to work with me at, with the politicians, you'll find a lot of them who think they believe they're God. But notice what he says. He says, hey, uh, if you go ahead and eat this fruit, God doth know uh, that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's verse 5. So what is the criteria for making yourself your own little God? is deciding for yourself what is good and what is evil. Well, again, God said that's evil. I say there's nothing wrong with it. You just made yourself your own little God. Devil shows up as something else. Lying from what he really is, he says, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. Lie the devil. It all comes down to replacing God with what the devil wants. And then notice, the Bible warns us in the New Testament that there's, the devil's got these four lies, and the New Testament says he's got three tricks. He says the trouble with the devil is that you got uh, the lust of the flesh, you got the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And the New Testament warns us about that. But you know what? The Old Testament warned us too. It's in here, right here. We just read it. It's the very first uh, lies of the devil and the three tricks. Notice what it says there in verse 6. She falls for these lies. So she looks over at this tree. Notice what it says, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. That'd be food. That'd be good for this old flesh. I think I'd like that. What's after lust of the flesh? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Notice what the verse says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Well, it looks good too. I like looking at that. Well, if you're looking at things, the devil would say, yeah, go ahead. And the Lord's like, I'm not pleased with that. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, what does the verse say? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. Isn't it amazing how the New Testament and the Old Testament tell the same story, come right together perfectly? I don't care what you're struggling with right now. It falls in one of these four lies and those are one of the three tricks that he'll use to get to you. Either the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, or the pride of life. I'd like to be able to tell you that my, my worst enemy in this world is somebody up there at the Capitol i got to deal with, some, some liberal pushing every wicked thing out there, and uh, I can name several of them. But you know what? That's not the person who gives me the most problem in this world. They're not the person in charge and responsible for every sin that Brother Lee Watts struggles with. You know who's responsible for every single one of those? 
Brother Lee Watts. Guy who shaved some of my face now that I started growing a beard. And you are the only one who can deal with your sin problem. And if you're like, you know what? I am insufficient in handling my sin problem. I've been trying to handle it for a long time. And you know what? I still got it. You know what? If you got a problem with handling it, I know somebody you can take it to who will fix that up for you. Jesus Christ. He says, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden. Is there anybody here today? You're like, you know what? I'm heavy laden. I got some problems in this life. I got some burdens. I got some heartaches. I got some troubles. I got some doubts. What did Jesus say? He says, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then notice what did Adam and Eve here at the conclusion. Every church person's favorite words, in conclusion. In conclusion, which mean nothing, by the way. The apostle Paul said, and finally, my brethren, and then he wrote three more chapters. So that means nothing. Uh, But in conclusion... We see that Adam and Eve, they go, they commit the sin, and then they realize, well, sure enough, the Lord said it was sin, and and we committed it, and they're, and they're, they're feeling all guilty. So what do they do? They try to cover themselves up. So they get fig leaves, it says, and they sewed the fig leaves together. Here we have the picture of somebody trying to cover their sin by the works of their hands. I'll just try to do good deeds to cover up my sin. And it says they made for themselves Aprons. Remember what we just read? Now, if you've ever been somewhere and somebody's cooking, uh, yeah, they'll put on an apron because, you know, the grease is popping on you and you don't want it to get on your clothes. Or, or, and it just, but it just covers the front. It's kind of like those hospital gowns. They'll cover you on the front but not the back. And when somebody comes to visit you, you back away from them because uh, it only is covering the front there. However, God shows up and he says, you know what? You're putting on a good front, but that is insufficient. People can put on a good front. You ever be driving into church some Sunday morning and you've been fussing with your wife or your husband or your kids and you're like, shut up back there, I'll pull this car right over and where's my favorite church tie? I can't find it. And you walk into the path, you're like, hi, pastor, how are you today? I shook all kinds of people's hands this morning. They said, how are you today, Brother Lee? My back's been killing me. To be honest, that pill's kicking in real good right now. I feel great. All right. But my back was killing me today. I was hunched over like somebody that lived in Notre Dame. But every time somebody went to me, I said, I'm fine, how are you? It's just the way we're trained. Well, you know what? The Adam and Eve said, hey, Lord, we're fine. And they put on a good front. You can fool me. You can fool other people. You can fool a pastor. You will never fool God. And God says, this front you put on is insufficient. So he read over there in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God, note the word Lord is back in the story, and the Lord God made unto them coats of skins. We see two things here. First of all, he made them coats. Apron covers the front. You know what a coat covers? Coat covers you all the way around. Like I got my suit coat here. You got a big overcoat when you're uh, in the wintertime. Covers you all the way around. He says, you don't need a good front. You need something to cover you all the way around. Now I find it interesting. God, They made for themselves, uh, they sewed fig leaves together. The famous fig leaf. You notice God did not make them coats of fig leaves. What did it say God made the coats out of? Skins. You want to skin something, you know what has to happen? It's got to die. It only says that Adam and Eve committed the sin. The rest of all of creation has not fallen yet. And so we have some creature, I'm guessing it was a lamb, that had committed no sin, and God says, you must die, and your blood is shed so that mankind may be fully covered. See the picture? 
he who had no sin became sin. Why? So that man's sin can be covered by the blood of that lamb. If you could just do good deeds to go to heaven, there would have been no reason for Jesus, the Lamb of God, to shed his blood. If you're here today and you're resting in anything else, today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you're going to have another day. It might be some deer jump out ahead of you in the street or some drunk or something. It might be something growing in your brain that's going to go pop in the middle of the night as you're sleeping. Don't put it off. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're like, I'm saved, but... To be honest, Brother Leaf, I've fallen for one of these lies and it's in my life and I've been struggling with this for a long time and, and it's still here and I just, I, I can't do anything with it. Then you come, you lay it down and you get, deal it with somebody who can deal with it. Four lies. Three dirty tricks of the devil. Whatever the need of the hour, we're now going to have an invitation time and time for you to come and respond. I knew this old preacher here in Kentucky. Brother Arnold was his name. Lived to be 102, 103. And I was talking to him one time, and I'm like, this guy has just got wisdom upon wisdom. And I, I asked for him some wisdom on, on, on the art and the burden of preaching. He says, whatever you preach, Brother Lee, you always give the people a chance to respond to God's call. I have done what the Lord told me to do today. And now it's your turn to respond. How will you answer the Lord's call? Pastor, the service is